about the future of me being in this game to this hand that I'm playing right here. In fact, so much so, I am all in. I am, I am thinking that what I've got here is all I need. And so, you know, we would do that. And, you know, it was a lot of fun back in the day. Well, in this passage we're going to look at tonight, Jesus has someone come to see him, and they're not as assured about their hand as we were back then sometimes. You know, this man has obviously been listening to Jesus, and something's kind of awakened in his heart. And so all of a sudden, just as Jesus is beginning to walk on and step away, this guy comes running up and kneels down before him and starts talking to him. So as I read this passage, if you have your Bibles and you want to uh, look at this, it's in Mark 10, uh, beginning in verse 17. So you're going to look at Mark 10. But what I would encourage you is, you know, let me encourage you to place yourself kind of right in the story and listen to this guy as he and Jesus talk back and forth. And we'll look at this. So Mark 10, he says this, as he was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you own. Give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. See, this guy, when he first comes to Jesus, he's coming, and he's kind of asking, you know, Lord, have I, am I good? I mean, have I done enough? Or, you know, is there something else I need to do? And he addresses Jesus. He says, good teacher. And Jesus' reply back to him is really kind of interesting. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Now, sometimes people look at that and they say, well, is Jesus saying I'm no good? Well, he's saying one of two things. Either he's saying I'm no good or he's saying I am God. You know, um, he couldn't really be saying, I'm no good, because he'd already said, I always do the things that please the Father. So he couldn't really be saying that. What he was, in essence, saying was, you know, you've recognized a truth, but you're unaware of what you've recognized. You need to realize what it is you've said. And so he was telling the guy, you know what? Yeah, you've got it right. You, you are addressing God. And then he goes on, and Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he goes through, and he says, you know, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. He's going through, he's mentioning all of the Ten Commandments that talk about how we relate to others, not how, you know, we relate to God, but how we relate to others. And the guy had kept that part well. In fact, I mean, he's the kind of guy that if we were talking about him, you know, we would say, oh, he's a really good guy. In other words, you know, he gets along with people well, he, he relates well. But that didn't have anything to do with his relationship with God. And then Jesus says he offers him the very thing that he's thirsting for that he doesn't even realize. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. 
Go and sell all you own. Give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus was offering him a relationship with himself. He was offering him a relationship with God. And then Mark goes on and tells us the guy was shocked. What he was really expecting was just an add-on, not, not a makeover. He wasn't thinking, oh, wow, we've got to change everything. He was like, I just wanted another activity. But Jesus says, no, I'll tell you what. It's about relationship. Come follow me. And then Mark records this for us. And he, he, he says, the guy was um, grieving for he had many possessions. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, those don't usually go together, grieving and many possessions. I mean, how many of you, you know, you were at Christmas and all of a sudden everyone says, what do you know, all these presents in the room, they're all for you. And you go, oh, I'm grieving. I mean, you know, no. I mean, you're thinking, for me, great. You know, I mean, you're sitting around, I mean, grieving and things, that doesn't seem to go together. But what the guy realized when Jesus said that was there was only one thing he could really ultimately put his trust in. And so he looked, the choice being trust God or trust my stuff. And he chose stuff. You know, Jeremiah talks about that in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. He says, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not a mighty man boast of his might and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness in the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. See, this guy came to the point where he realized, you know what, I've got to make a choice. And what Jesus was telling him is, your trust needs to be in me. What God was trying to say to him at that time was, you know what? You need to be all in. You need to push everything that you're holding back into the center of the table and trust me with the results. And God wants that same thing for you. And he wants that same thing for me. But what I'd like to do in the rest of the time that we have left is simply this. I'd like to tell you two reasons that we don't go all in what it would look like to go all in, and three reasons that we should. So let me start with the two that we usually don't. The two reasons we usually don't go all in are very simple. Comfort and individualism. Comfort and individualism. Those are the two great barriers, and both of them make a large assumption that is not based on truth. You know, comfort is the first one. You know, we all enjoy comfort. In fact, I very seldom meet anyone who says, you know, I really like to be uncomfortable. No. I mean, we thrive on comfort. We love comfort. You know, we, we I mean, we sit around and talk about, I mean, we'll be sitting in a chair that is like plush and, and it's not quite plush enough. You know, we just, we just love comfort. And see, here's the problem though. This is what we tend to assume. We assume that comfort equals capacity. And sometimes we think, man, walking with God, I don't know that I have the capacity for that. I mean, honestly, my capacity is not that big sometimes. 
And we assume that because we think our comfort equals our capacity. The truth is this. Comfort is always less than capacity. You need to realize that, you know what, your, your, your capacity for what God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do through your life, far, far bigger than your comfort. See, God is on a mission to transform each one of us into the image of his son, Christ. That's what he says in Romans 8, 29. That will not be accomplished within our comfort zones. You know, it's going to be accomplished outside of that. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus, anticipating that, what he said to his followers is this. I will send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is not really looking for a comforter? Who's not really looking for a comforter? Someone who's already comfortable. That's exactly right. Somebody who's already comfortable. In other words, don't make that your goal. You're going to miss the work of the Holy Spirit in your life if you do. If you're just sitting around comfortable, you're not even going to be looking for him. You know, don't miss out on what God has for you there by just living a life of comfort. But it's rather be all in. With individualism, that's just a simple thing. That's a simple word that means we think we know better. Now, you know, I get examples of that like all the time around here. The other day, one of our grandkids was over here. I will not mention which one. And was kind of hanging around the house, was eating lunch with us. And so I was, I was talking to her and I said, um, you know, what's going on? She said, hey, Papa, can I have a treat after lunch? I said, you know, if you eat all your lunch, you can have a treat. And so she ate a little bit. And then she said, um, can I go look at the treats? I said, well, no, you haven't eaten your lunch yet. You need to eat your lunch. And she said, well, but I think I need to look at the treats first. And I said, no, no, I think you need to eat your lunch first. And finally she says, Papa, you're just not listening to me. Uh, if I had a treat, then I would have the energy to eat my lunch. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe that makes sense. Um, and so I, I, you know, I didn't really know. Anyway, I caved. Okay, I caved. She ate the treat. She did not finish her lunch. Bad, bad move on my part, I know. But, you know, I'm, I'm a bad papa sometimes. Anyway, I'm so glad we outgrow that, that, you know, we don't do anything like that. The truth is this. What we assume with individualism is that what we want equals what's best. And it should be what God wants. Let me tell you that again. In individualism, we assume that what we want is equal to what is best, and it should be what God wants. But the truth is this. God knows what is best, and we should want that. Comfort and individualism, two of the biggest things that really hold us back from just being all in with God. Those tend to be the reasons. So what would it look like in our lives? What would it look like to be all in? It, it would look like a couple of things. One, you live your life to glorify God. Now, I don't know about you, but man, when I was, when I was really, you know, brand new to the Christian life, I would hear somebody say something about glorifying God. And I thought, I have absolutely no idea what that means. I mean, you know, I would look at that and it seemed weird or it seemed hard or unattainable, you know, 
or I thought it was something that was really kind of random. Like, you know, you win the world series and you say, um, yeah, I want to just thank God. You know, you think, is that what that means? No, no. And when you look at glorifying God, it's really something that's eminently practical. In John 17, 1, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And you, you read on and he kind of, he says that again in, in a couple of different ways throughout that passage right there. But he said, what he's saying is this, God reveal to them who I am so that I can reveal to them what you're like. What he was saying is, God, if you will show them that I am actually your son in the flesh, then they're going to have a crystal clear picture of this is what God is like. This is how God loves. This is how God serves. This is what God would do if he were in my place because they can look at the life of Jesus. So the way you really glorify is you reveal. And you can do that in a lot of different things. I mean, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So here's an activity I would like you to think about. Think through your day. Think through what are the different activities you're involved with, you know, classes, jobs, different roles that you have right now, what could you do in each of those that would really glorify God, that would really reveal him? Another way to ask that maybe would be, how would he do it if he were in your place? If you do it like that, then you'll be doing it in such a way as you really reveal him to others. The second thing, live your life so that others may live. In other words, give your life in exchange for the same thing that Jesus exchanged his for, people. Give your life in exchange for the same thing that Jesus exchanged his for, and that's people. Now, you know, if you get around those that don't know him and you're living your life in such a way so as to reveal him, then your life, that's when it really begins to come together. That's when you begin to see people's lives changing as a result of you. But you've got to put those two things together. Now, if you've come to know God, one of the things you've figured out and that you've discovered is that he has strategically left us here once we've come to know him for the sake of those that don't know him. We don't tend to think that way. One of the reasons we don't is because we're absorbed in our comfort and individualism. But you know, one of the real reasons we don't, people are a pain. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, if you have little siblings, you've noticed that. If you have roommates that are somewhat different than you, which means not normal, of course, um, that you've noticed that. But I mean, you know, people are a pain. No created thing is quite as mean or quite as messed up as humans. I mean, you don't ever see dogs slandering each other. You ever thought about that? You don't ever see horses trying to start a war. That doesn't happen. 
You don't see birds being greedy. Cats don't gossip. I mean, nothing quite like us. I think that's one of the reasons people love pets. There's no drama. You know, I mean, you mistreat your dog, you know, you, you step on your dog or, you know, you kick your dog or, or you yell at your dog. What does a dog do? They wag their tail, come up and lick your hand and just want to hang out with you. Try that with your roommate. That, that doesn't, you don't get the same response. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't work that way. And so, so what you, I mean, you ignore your cat. Well, the cat probably prefers it. I mean, you know, but, you know, the reason we like to be around pets more than we like to be around people, the reason we like to hang with them, it, it's just more comfortable. That is the very reason that many of you will not choose to give your life in exchange for what Jesus gave his for people. Because you know what? It's just not very comfortable. And it's just something that, you know, doesn't fit in with what you, what you have planned. But let me give you three reasons why I think it would be a great idea. Three reasons why you should. The first one is this. Life is brief. Life is brief. James 4.14. James says, what is your life? It is but a vapor. It appears for a moment and then passes away. Now, many of you are in some places right now that are a little bit more cold than Los Angeles. And if you go outside right now and you just step out on the back porch and kind of go, that's your life. You don't get a, you know, just one, that's it. It is a vapor. It appears for a moment and then passes away. So if you want to have a life that is bigger a more fulfilling life, then what you've got to do is you've got to step in to what the eternal God of the universe is doing and walk with him. And though you'll have a short life, no matter how long it is. I mean, if I just had an aunt that lived to 104. And you know what? I mean, if you live to 104, it's still short in comparison to eternity. So life is short. That's the first reason. Second thing, Everything else is ultimately going up in smoke. Everything else is ultimately going up in smoke. In 2 Peter 3.10, Peter says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intensity, and the earth and its works will be burned up. In other words, you know, all of those things that you worked, you know, you get one of those things from Ikea and you work and you work and you put it all together and you only have two or three parts left over afterwards and you, you get the whole thing finally put, you know what he says? One of these days that's all going up in smoke. You think the whole thing that I put, yeah, the whole thing you put together, it's all going up. So give your life to something that's going to last. Don't just give your life to things that are going to be gone. The third and the last reason is this. What you do now impacts eternity. What you do now impacts eternity. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. 
in the Lord. You know, if you look around the neighborhood where you live, no matter where you are right now, East Coast, Middle of America, West Coast, Philippines, wherever you are, if you look around, what you're going to see is this. There are hundreds of men that get up every morning. They go to work so they can make some money, so they can buy some food and pay the rent, so they can eat and sleep and gain some strength, so they can get up and go to work and make some money, so they can buy something from Ikea and put it together to store all the stuff they're getting so they can get some rest and get up and go to work. And at the end, life's over. And they know they haven't given their life to anything that's going to last. Just stuff. Except for the grace of God, you all could just end up being one of those people. But when you get involved with the things that Jesus is about, you touch everything you touch has meaning and begins to have purpose. And that's what he says right there in that verse. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I've got a friend, his name is Bob Anderson. And Bob, Bob came to the University of Oklahoma to run track. And, you know, he had grown up and he'd been kind of involved in the church somewhat growing up. You know, he'd been kind of around things like that. And, but, you know, he was planning on just coming, majoring in education, coaching track. And that's kind of what he was going to do with his life. And, and you know, and that was good. I mean, that's a good thing to be involved in. And that's what he was going to do. And he got there and he met a guy named Max. And Max began to meet with him and Max began to build into him. Max began to help him a lot. And all of a sudden there was a guy coming through town one day and, and Max told some of the guys, he said, hey, this guy's coming in town. You, you ought to hear what he has to say. So they got together. And this guy, as Bob shared at one time, Bob said, you know, we got there and this guy simply opened the Bible and he shared how Jesus drew a few young men around him. And through those guys, he changed the world forever. And something clicked in Bob that day. And he saw that by living his life to reveal God and giving his life away to others, he could have an eternal impact. Well, he continued to get training and about four years later from that time, he went to plant a challenge ministry at K-State University in Manhattan, Kansas. Now, if you go to Manhattan, Kansas, which you have to go because no one just travels through Manhattan, but if you go to Manhattan, Kansas today and you visit K-State, you will find a ministry that has hundreds of folks involved with it. What you'll also find is, though, that there are thousands of men and women around the globe whose lives have been changed forever because of one guy, Bob Anderson. Now, the question I would have for you as we kind of wrap up is this. What are you going to give your life in exchange for? Hopefully, it's not one of those things Jeremiah talked about. Hopefully, you know, your, your thought isn't going to be, well, I'm, I'm going to give it for education. Man, I'll tell you what, 
those degrees, they will burn up as well. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it, you know, for, I'm just going to give it for uh, money. Now that, that, that burns faster than education, you know. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it for looks. Trust me, those go south. You know, so, you know, all of those are going to fade. But I would encourage you, go all in with what God has for you. Because if you do, what you're going to find is, it is the best life that you could possibly have. And it's a life that continues on past you. It really makes an eternal impact. So let me pray for us. And then I'm going to turn it over to Audrey to lead us in some more songs. Lord, thanks just for your kindness to us and even allowing us to uh, have the opportunity to work with you, to, to have lives of significance, to have lives of meaning, not just to dabble around with stupid things that, you know, we get so impressed with here, but really don't matter a bit in the bigger picture of things. So Father, help us to value the things that you value and help us to exchange our lives for the very thing that you exchanged yours for. And we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.